Well, people love the idea of a fresh start. And some of you may feel like a new school year is a fresh start. Everyone gets new pens and pencils and notebooks and Chromebooks and dry erase markers. And you may even have a new outfit for the first day of school or a new haircut. It's often the restart of something that you've done before, but a new school year often means new beginnings, and it's full of hope. Now, some of you may feel like something in your home is a fresh start. New pots and pans, maybe, or a new rug, or some kind of new tool, or a new kitchen faucet. These can all feel like a fresh start in a place that's become familiar. We got a new faucet this past week, and it almost makes me happy to wash dishes. <laughs> Some of you may feel like today and tomorrow are a fresh start. It's New Year's. You can begin again or make a resolution to eat healthier, to exercise more, to save more money, to call your mother or father more often. In a lot of ways, it's a chance to begin again. We can reflect back over this past year and remember all the ways that God has been at work in our lives. But we can also look forward to what's ahead and dream of the ways that God might bring new life into our stories. We love the idea of a fresh start. We tend to think that a resolution for the new year will help us achieve that new beginning. In all reality, though, not many of us are good at keeping New Year's resolutions. According to an article from Fisher's College of Business at Ohio State University, only 9% of Americans that make resolutions complete them. In fact, research goes on to show that 23% of people quit their resolution by the end of the first week, and 43% quit by the end of January. And an article by Carrie Newhoff, who's an author and pastor and church leadership expert, suggests that for 92% of people, New Year's resolutions fail. And we all know that the hardest month to find a parking spot at the gym is in January, right? All we want is a new beginning. But where does this new beginning come from? Can we resolve it and wish it into existence? Or does God have something more for us? Today we're going to spend time in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4 and look at the story of Jesus' first public act of ministry. This story is a new beginning for Jesus, for God's relationship to us, and for us. So let's begin by looking at the narrative and what's happening here. One commentary offers an interesting observation. This story occurs in real time. The time that it takes to read the story is the same as the time that would have elapsed when the event happened. It's a brief story, but it's a significant story. Luke, as the author, gives attention to both what happens before Jesus reads the scroll of Isaiah in the temple and what happens after. Jesus goes to Nazareth, goes into the synagogue, stands up to read, and unrolls the scroll. Then after Jesus reads, he rolls the scroll back up, gives it to the attendant, and sits down. Everyone looks at him because they're expecting him to teach. Jesus had been traveling throughout the synagogues in Galilee, so he was becoming known as a teacher. His posture is the usual posture for a teacher. In a Jewish synagogue, the teacher read from a scroll and then sat down. Everyone looks at the teacher at that point because they were ready to listen to what Jesus has to say. 
Luke sets up the story this way to highlight the importance of what Jesus says. Jesus is reading from the prophet Isaiah, but the words he is reading are anchored in the story of Israel going all the way back to Abraham and Sarah. Jesus' ministry is rooted in the ongoing promise and commitment of God. Luke also gives time to the events of this teaching moment because he's showing us that we need to take time to dwell on God's actions. God is present in our reality and can't be rushed. Prior to this, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, and then Jesus' public ministry begins. This first teaching, this inaugural address, takes place in Jesus' hometown. His first public act in Luke is not an act, but a sermon. Jesus spells out to all those in the synagogue the work that he's going to do. At the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus very clearly tells us his mission. Those who were listening at the time, though, might not have realized what Jesus was saying. We have the advantage of knowing the story of Jesus' baptism earlier in his life when the Spirit of God came down like a dove and heaven opened up and God called Jesus his son. We have the advantage of knowing all that's going to happen after this moment. After, there's all these miracles that Jesus will perform, all these healings that he will do, all that he's going to take upon himself at the cross, and all the glory of the Easter resurrection. We know those things. But the people in the story are in the present moment, and they don't realize all that has happened before and all that is yet to come. The people were impressed. In Luke 4.22, it says, All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? That comment even, isn't this Joseph's son, reveals that they don't really know him. He isn't Joseph's son. He's the son of God. These words that Jesus proclaims in the temple in Luke 4, 18 and 19, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These are words that connect back to the prophet Isaiah over 400 years before Jesus stood in the temple. Jesus is drawing from two different sections in Isaiah, Isaiah 58, 6, and 61, 1 and 2. Isaiah 58, 6 reads, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? And in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, you'll hear a lot more of these echoes that Jesus speaks. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. In the time of Isaiah, the people were in exile, waiting to be rescued. They looked forward to the day when God would bring them back to the promised land and restore the temple. They looked forward to a Messiah. They were looking for God to bring a new beginning. And after he reads these scriptures, Jesus gives a one-sentence interpretation. Luke 4.21 reads, He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus' message is that today 
this scripture that he read is fulfilled in their presence. He's not lecturing or explaining, but he's proclaiming and he's freeing them through his words. The kingdom of God is here now, and in Jesus, a whole new future is dawning. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in this person of Jesus. Jesus tells the people that he himself is the chosen servant, long ago spoken of by Isaiah. Jesus has been chosen to proclaim and preach the good news of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is going to travel from town to town sharing this good news. This teaching moment in the Gospel of Luke, this is our new beginning. We, like the people in Isaiah, are often waiting for God to bring a new beginning in our lives. We're looking for God to restore us, to heal us, to free us. And that new beginning is already here in Christ. This is good news. So what does a new beginning look like in our lives? This morning, I want to briefly share four things that I think highlight what a new beginning looks like. So first, a new beginning means that the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit plays a major role in the book of Luke. We see the Holy Spirit involved in the lives of God's people. The Holy Spirit fills people and speaks through them. Think of Mary receiving the news that she would give birth to Jesus. And think of the stories of Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, who gives birth to John, of Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, of Simeon when he meets the young Jesus in the temple, of John when he encounters Jesus in baptism. The Holy Spirit speaks to and through and empowers people all throughout Luke. And in this new beginning moment in Luke 4, Jesus is also filled with and guided by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has descended on Jesus at his baptism. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness prior to this. And the Spirit fills Jesus with power as he returns to Galilee and begins his public ministry. Luke 4.14 says Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. Jesus is in alignment with God's Spirit. As he returns to his hometown, he's drawing on the power of the Spirit for his ministry. The Spirit of God leads, guides, and fills and empowers Jesus for the prophetic work that he's going to do. Sometimes we wonder if God is the one beginning something new in our lives. Sometimes it feels like we can almost manufacture our own new beginning. I think of this most often in my life when I've changed jobs, when I've changed ministry calls. I start the process wondering and praying, but thinking, am I creating my own circumstance? Wondering if I'm just restless and it's led me to put my resume in somewhere else. But when things begin to line up in ways that I can't orchestrate or explain, they did this when I switched jobs in Evanston, they did this when I came here to Lafayette, my eyes are open to see that it's the Holy Spirit at work in my life. Do you see signs that the Holy Spirit is working in your life? Then I would encourage you, follow God into that new beginning. Second, a new beginning means that there are no outsiders in God's kingdom. The first action that Jesus proclaims in Luke 4, 18 and 19, is that the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
So this is the first time that the Greek word for poor is in Luke's gospel. And this word is about economic status, but it's also about other factors that lowered status in the first century world. Things like education, gender, family heritage, occupation, sickness, disability, and degree of religious purity. Poor means anyone of low status for a wide variety of societal reasons. If we look back at Mary's song in Luke 1, it speaks of the same idea. Luke 1, 52 and 53, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Both Mary's song and Jesus' message proclaim that those at the bottom levels of society have been chosen by the Spirit to receive good news. Those who are considered outsiders by society, on the margins of society, they are given value. They, too, are worthy recipients of God's grace and mercy. The good news that Jesus proclaims the gospel, it must be good news to the poor and to the marginalized. As you're invited into what you feel might be God's new beginning, take a look around. Are there others who are excluded from what you feel that you're being invited into? Because a new beginning in Christ doesn't exclude people. Everyone is invited to receive God's grace and mercy. And as we help usher in new kingdom beginnings, we have to pay attention to whether or not those beginnings are open to everyone. Third, a new beginning means that our vision changes. Luke 4, 18 and 19, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. As we look at Jesus' ministry and how it will unfold in the Gospel of Luke, we see all of these things happening. Jesus pays attention and he values those who are poor or of low status. There's freedom for all those who are imprisoned, both physically and spiritually. There's recovery of sight for the blind, and the oppressed are set free. What do we do when we're face-to-face with those who are poor, with those who are in prison, with those who have physical limitations, or with those who are suffering under the weight of oppression? It can be hard today to look people in the eye when our society says they're of little importance. Our society is very different from Jesus' first century society, but we're the same in that there are still people who are considered outsiders. The new beginning that Christ brings to us is about having a kingdom-minded view and not an earthly-minded view. Jesus has come to turn the tables upside down. Jesus himself is a new beginning for all the people of God. Our eyes need to be open to those that society might ignore. We can say that a new beginning means there are no outsiders in God's kingdom, but our vision needs to expand so that we see everyone as a valued and loved child of God. Do we hear this as good news? Or are we afraid like the people in Jesus' hometown? Jesus tells the people in Nazareth that these words from Isaiah are fulfilled in him, and in the next passage, they run him out of town. The picture that Jesus paints might sound wonderful at first, but when we look at all the finer details, we realize there's change involved, and change may make us uncomfortable. 
Jesus is calling for this change today, not in the future, not in some far-off kingdom. Jesus is talking about sharing wealth, and Jesus is talking about welcoming people into our communities. And even as Jesus proclaims the year of the Lord's favor, he's talking about a practice where debts are forgiven and land is returned and slaves are set free. So this good news that comes for the poor and for those who have lost their land and for the servants might be bad news for the people who collect the debts or for the people who own the land or for those who have the servants. Our vision changes when the things that matter to us now, like wealth and comfort and social status, lose their importance when we embrace a new beginning in Jesus. Mary, Jesus' mother, saw this. In Luke chapter 1, Mary is told by the angel Gabriel that she will give birth to Jesus, and she speaks about who Jesus will be. We already looked at Luke 1, 52 and 53, where he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Mary's words foreshadow her son Jesus' ministry. Now Luke's gospel also has the story of the boy Jesus staying behind at the temple and his parents looking for him thinking he was lost. Perhaps this is because Luke wants us to know that Jesus, as a boy, was taught the stories of how good news came to the poor. He was taught these stories generations back. He saw them as he heard the stories of Sarah and Abraham. He was taught the stories of how good news came to the poor in his own aunt Elizabeth. He was taught the stories of how good news came to the poor in his own mother, Mary. Pastor Stacy said last week that Mary is the Theotokos, the God-bearer. She will teach the word of God to the word of God. Perhaps she has taught Jesus stories of how God has lifted up the humble and filled the hungry with good things. Dr. Caroline Lewis, who is a professor at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, she explains it well when she says, Mary's song acknowledges that what God has done, her son will do as well. She connects the dots between the God that she knows and has always known and the God who is orienting her future through her own son, Jesus. She realizes that God's favor of her will be that which the world will experience because of her son, Jesus. And as Dr. Lewis said, maybe your mother really does know what's best. <laughs> Jesus is the Son of God. It's spoken at his baptism, it's revealed in his family tree, and even when he tempts him, even the devil admits this. But Jesus now reveals what it means that he's the new Adam. He has come for every son and daughter of Adam, not just the people of Israel. He is to be the savior of the whole world. Finally, a new beginning means that people are released, that they are set free. Jesus reads a couple of different phrases from the Isaiah scroll to indicate this. I shared a little about the year of the Lord's favor, and it's likely that Jesus is referring to the year of Jubilee from Leviticus 25. It should have been a year of liberation and restoration. <clears throat> Luke 4, 18 through 19, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So in this year of the Lord's favor, Israelites would return to their ancestral lands. 
Those who had become slaves because they were poor would be released, debts would be forgiven, and property would be returned. Now this jubilee year was supposed to be every 50 years, but Jeremiah 34, 14 suggests that it hadn't been followed, and there's little evidence that Israel ever practiced this. It was a future hope, something that would happen in God's new kingdom. The people in Isaiah's day were waiting for this year of jubilee to happen. Jesus is saying that this year of the Lord's favor is now happening in him. It was common in the day for kings and rulers and Caesars to proclaim liberation in these sweeping decrees. But Jesus is indicting all those rulers when he says that he is the fulfillment of this. No ruler has brought true freedom and release till this point. Jesus, the Messiah, gives us the new beginning that we are longing for. When Jesus speaks of setting the oppressed free, he has the power to release or free us from so many things. In Luke's gospel, we see release from sins or forgiveness and a re-entry into the community. We see release from Satan's binding power. We see release from sickness with healing that brings physical change and wholeness and freedom. We see release from debts as spoken of in the year of Jubilee. Jesus brings a new age of freedom by changing our current environmental state, and he causes a change in us. And this is a type of change that means a person's life is never the same afterwards. <clears throat> this series, The Chosen, demonstrates this well. Some of you may know this quote. Season one, episode two, Mary Magdalene speaks about her healing by saying, I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. This is the kind of new beginning, the freedom, the release that Jesus offers to all of us. In what ways are you longing to be set free? We all love a fresh start. In some ways, we're all longing for a new beginning. If you don't know the one who came to bring a new beginning for all of us, if Jesus himself is new to you, I would love to talk with you and pray with you after the service today. But if you're walking with Jesus already, the good news is that he continues to invite you into the new beginning that he started over 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit is still working and active, bringing new beginnings into our lives. Jesus has opened up the kingdom and all are worthy recipients of God's grace and mercy. Maybe God is looking to expand your vision. Maybe you are longing to be set free. Whether you make a resolution or not, Jesus has come so that you might have a new beginning in him. And this new beginning is open to you any day of the year. Will you pray with me as we close this morning? Gracious God, you are the God of new beginnings. We heard and we see in Jesus that you came for a new kingdom. Lord, you came to give us all new life in you, and for this we thank you and we praise you. Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit is at work, and we pray that you would open our eyes to the ways your Spirit is working around us, bringing new beginnings into our lives. God, we thank you that there are no outsiders in your kingdom, and we pray that you would expand our vision, open our eyes, so that we would see all people as your beloved children. 
God, we know that you came so that we could be released and set free. And I pray for anyone who is experiencing the need to be released this morning, Lord, that you would come to them, that you would interrupt their story, that you would bring a new beginning in such a powerful way that they are changed and their life is never the same. God, we thank you that you can do this, that you still work today. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.